times lucky. Is that what they say? Three-eyed Willie? I don't know. <laughs> Three-eyed Willie. <laughs> well, we're back again with another set of crimes. I wanted to say against humanity, but mm. we're not playing that game right now. Yeah. And this one, this one's kind of different because these are more of like disasters, aren't they? Yeah, but like corporate kind of caused the disasters. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Things yeah. that could have been avoided. Absolutely. Mm. But hey, that is another topic for another. Well, no, actually, that's the topic for today. Topic <laughs> <Not> for today. <laughs> so. Let's get rolling on this river and start on episode three. Let's go. So, I guess what we shouldn't talk about today are man-made disasters. Man-made disasters are pretty, pretty bad. Especially yeah. when it affects, like, you know, towns and people, animals. Yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. So, gather around, children. Let me spin you a yarn. We have a lovely story for you today. A story about disasters and corporations that caused them. And dreams, big dreams, that unfortunately turned into big disasters. Well, I don't know about V's story, but mine is, it started with the dream. <laughs> So, without any further ado, let's get into it. Alright. Um, Key, you may definitely start this one off. I have to get myself ready for all my scientific big words I'll be using for this episode. Okay, no problem. I don't think I'm... Well, the names of the chemicals are kind of those type of words that your tongue trips over, but we're going to power through this one. Because this this is to me like a very crazy story especially like when I get to the end and tell you like what's going on with it current day mm. you're gonna be blown away oh, like I don't know if you are a Seinfeld watcher like I am but when Jerry says something like unbelievable to Elaine and she's like get out and she pushes him like <laughs> really hard he like falls against stuff <laughs> that's what you're gonna do at the end of the story well I'll be ready to get pushed over then brace my shoulders <laughs> all right so my story today is about love canal which sounds so sweet it does it does William T. Love came to ooh, no. William T. Love came to 1890s Niagara Falls, New York, with hugely ambitious plans. The landowner and entrepreneur envisioned the creation of an enormous utopian metropolis. His alias was Lex Luthor. No. <laughs> uh, when you when you said Charles, I was thinking Superman immediately. <laughs> His city would be 
home to enviable industry and housing for more than a million people. One million. One million, that's two commas. Thousands of acres would become the most extensive and beautiful park in the world. He planned to power the city using hydroelectric dams on a new 11 kilometer canal between the upper and lower Niagara rivers. Within a year, however, <laughs> Ooh, these 1890s were a rough time, Love's plans failed and would quickly have been forgotten if it weren't for one problem. One part of Love's city that had been built was a kilometer-long pit that would have been part of the canal. And after decades, this pit was purchased by the city of Niagara Falls, which had decided that it would make an ideal location for a much needed chemical dumping site. Thanks, Niagara Falls. After the pit was filled with waste, a neighborhood was built directly on top of it. Ooh. By the 1970s, the Love Canal had become the site of one of the worst the worst environmental disasters in American history. Now back in 1892, it seemed inconceivable that Love's plans would fall apart so dramatically. He was driven, charismatic, and he filled his brochures with wild pro promises and other hyperbole. Yes, hyperbole. <laughs> Did he sell like uh, magical tonics too? And snake oil. Snake oil. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. So the I see the <laughs> the idea. See, this is so horrendous. I'm gonna have to laugh my way through it. The idea of a new city among the greatest manufacturing cities in the United States drew many supporters and investors. The following year saw construction begin on the canal. Then Love's ideas were quashed fairly quickly by a combination of factors. The fluctuation of the economy scared off the investors, the discovery of how electricity could be efficiently transmitted over long distances made Love's Canal seem unnecessary. Damn you, Tesla. And local politicians prohibited the diversion of the river's water altogether. And thus, love's ambitions evaporated almost overnight. The pit remained, filling with rainwater and becoming a local recreation area. Swimming in the summer, skating in the winter, because it is New York after all. Mm. Now, in 1920, the land was sold to nearby Niagara Falls, as we stated, a growing industrial town that immediately started using the pit as dumping ground for chemical waste. This continued for more than 20 years, after which the Hooker Chemical and Plastics Corporation, now a part of Occidental Petroleum or Oxychem, purchased the land for their own chemical disposal. I have a question. Yes. We have the name Love, and now we have the name Hooker. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting so twisted by these names right now. Alright, continue. Well, get your mind out the gutter, because it's not going that way. <laughs> it's going to the pit. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 
So, 20 years of Niagara Falls doing their dumping only to be bought by a chemical and plastic company so that they can do their own chemical dumping there. By 1953, the company had buried nearly 22,000 tons of waste and the pit was virtually full. Now, a ton is 1,000 pounds. 2,000? No. No. I'm going to ask Google. Please do. Google. I am so sure that a ton is 1,000 pounds. No, it's 2,000. Okay, Google. How many pounds is one ton? One U.S. ton is equal to 2,000 pounds. Blimey. Why does she sound like that? Why does it sound like she's on a tunnel? What? Go fuck her. You remember that game? <laughs> Damn it, Google. Why are you out gallivanting when I need answers? <laughs> so, 2,000 pounds for each ton. That is a lot of chemical waste. I hate humans so much. 22,000 tons of waste. Now at the time in 1953, the dangers of chemical waste were almost entirely unknown. Why? Because nobody wants to say, hey, chemicals can be bad. Maybe we should find a proper way to dispose of them. Hmm. That's going to cost us money. Let's just turn a blind eye. My son was born with eight fingers. Well, you're a witch, madam. Really? That has nothing to do with that glowing green pond over there. Oh, so. Far from be being alarmed or even wary of living next to a major chemical producer, the city's residents were delighted at the medical and other developments that the chemical industry was bringing in. No one thought that the same companies could engage in any potentially dangerous activities. Love Canal was... <clears throat> now, this right here is what blows my mind. Love Canal was lined with clay and covered with dirt to supposedly seal it. And Hooker's chemical experts declared it safe. What? What? So you throw some clay and some dirt on top of something, and it will be safe. But also, the company that's doing it are the ones declaring it safe. So yeah, mm, that leaves little in the way of uh, you know um, believability. Right. That really should have been a red flag there. Only the occasional scientists could recognize the dangers of chemical waste in the 1940s. One, a Dr. Robert Mobs, had explored the link between insecticides and cancer, which he would later strongly denounce Hooker Chemical as not just careless, but also aware of the potential danger for its dumping ground. But it's not certain whether Hooker suspected potential effects of his waste products. However, 
This is the other kicker. Mm. The company sold Love Canal for guess how much? Mm. Wait, before you make, if you had a dumping ground, you put 22,000 tons of waste in and it was virtually full and it no longer served a purpose for you, what would you be willing to part for it for? Free. Let's say you had to have a price because it was a business transaction. Oh, okay. Had to have a price. Hmm. I would need... I would, need, I would need a way to get away, so I would definitely have to have a couple of horses or a carriage or something, you know? And uh, in that time, I guess I would say $500. Okay. Okay. So, Love Canal was sold by Hooker Chemical for a single dollar. Mm. And what is also suspicious is the carefully worded disclaimer that Hooker included with the sale stating that they could not be held legally responsible for any side effects from chemical exposure. That was just blatantly in the in like the bill yeah, of sale. That that was their their point. Like we'll sell it to you for a dollar as long as we're not gonna be held responsible for anything that happens. See, see, that's that's what I said free, and then my next answer was gonna be a dollar, but I was like, okay, I joke this time, I should be serious this time, but yeah, a dollar because like now it's off my hands, I'm running, like, but I basically yeah, like you give me a dollar, it's all yours, my man. They wipe their seriously, no taxis, backsies. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so again, another red flag, people. Nobody sells you acres and acres of land for a dollar and a get out of jail free card. That's literally well, for themselves. That's literally an email of the 19th century, <laughs> a scam email of the 19th century. Right. They should have sold them a couple bridges as well. Mm. <laughs> okay. Either way, these subtle warnings were not the red flags that they should have been. The Niagara Falls Board of Education, which was in urgent need of more classroom space eagerly purchased the land and began constructing a new elementary school. In 1955, 400 children began attending the school as about 100 homes were built in the surrounding area. Almost all of the residents of Niagara Falls knew what the land had previously been used for and were not cautioned about living on it. Unsurprisingly, the direct effects of the pits Contents were soon felt. Strange odors and substances were reported by residents, especially those with basements. Pieces of phosphorus made their way to the surface. Children in the schoolyard were burnt by toxic waste. Wow. Local officials were alerted and took no action. In 1976, water from heavy rains and a record-breaking blizzard caused a significant amount of chemical waste to migrate to the surface where it contaminated the whole neighborhood. In the following years, it was stricken with higher than normal rates of stillbirths and miscarriages. Many babies were born with birth defects. Informal studies at the time noted the frightening trend. 
one by Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry observed more than 400 types of chemicals in the air, water, soil, with some of them being benzene, which was already known to be a carcin carcinogenic. Now there was really one standout mother, Lois Gibbs. After reading about the history of Love Canal in a local publication, she realized her young son, Michael, had been constantly ill since starting a new school. So she asked for her son to be transferred. When this failed, she went door to door to her neighbors with a petition to close the school. The situation turned out to be even worse than she thought though. Her rounds made it clear that the entire neighborhood was ill. Now Gibbs went on to lead the campaign to call attention to the neighborhood and she was joined by many local parents as well as the editors of the Niagara Falls Gazette. Finally, in the spring of 1978, Health Commissioner Dr. Robert P. Whelan declared the area around Love Canal hazardous. The school was closed, the land was sectioned off, and more than 200 families in the immediate area were evacuated. By August of that year, the hazardous site was receiving national attention. On August 7th, President Jimmy Carter called upon the Federal Disaster Agency, no, Federal Disaster Assistance Agency, for its help. In September, Dr. Whalen released an intensive report on the disaster, which read in part, the profound and devastating effects of Love Canal tragedy in terms of human health and suffering and environmental damage cannot and probably will never fully be measured. We cannot undo the damage that has been wrought at Love Canal, but we can take appropriate preventive measures so that we are better able to anticipate and hopefully prevent future events of this kind. Lawsuits were quick to arrive and lo and behold, Hooker Chemical found itself being sued for more than $11 billion. $11 billion? $11 billion. What, what year was this? Uh, we have jumped, this was pretty much 79. Oh, 1979? Yes. Okay. Hmm. So all the construction and everything started in the 50s, like oh, after all sure. the stuff had been buried. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the corporation, corporation of course denied its involvement and even denied it when faced with the federal justice department they were like hey we sold it it's not our not our issue no more mm -hmm. we gave them a fair price <laughs> <laughs> and oh, also basically the biggest loophole we could find to keep ourselves from being in trouble However, a great deal of damage has still been done, and eventually more than a thousand families had to be moved out of the Love Canal area. A EPA study revealed that of the 36 people tested, 11 had chromosomal damage. And that of 15 Love Canal babies born between 79 or January 79 and January 80, only two were healthy. Wow. The agencies at the state and federal level spent hundreds of millions trying to clean up the pollution. 
of that, Hooker Chemicals has eventually been persuaded to contribute about $130 million. Now, one good thing that came out of this disaster was the creation of the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, more commonly known as the Superfund Law. Its aim is to collect taxes from gas and chemical corporations to be used directly to clean up any site similar to Love Canal. And Oxychem, the company that bought Hooker, now lists making chemical plants safer and more environmentally sound as one of its goals. Now, in the early 90s, now this was 79, this got to the point where the president had to declare it a national state of emergency, evacuate all the families that lived there, and then in the early 1990s, parts of the area were declared safe again and now make up a neighborhood known as Black Creek Village. The area was taken off the Superfund list in September 2004 and that was at the announcement that certain cleanup goals had been reached. Much of the canal itself, however, remains sectioned off by chain link fence because everyone knows chain link is the one thing that chemicals cannot get through, which to any local passerby must serve as a poignant reminder of the whole catastrophe. Now, as of 2018, it had been 40 years since Niagara Falls' most infamous neighborhood was declared a federal health emergency. And part of it, as I said, it is not populated by people who, except for a few people, because in my research I did find that the residents, especially Miss Gibbs, was trying to get the government to pay for their houses so that they can have money to relocate. And once they finally reached the settlement, all but 76 families decided to leave. Man. So, they must have hated their families. <laughs> so, that part of it that is now the Black Creek Village, with the exception of a few old-timers that did stay, have moved in since the neighborhood was reopened in 1990. And a lot of those people live in the houses that were abandoned back in 79 and 80. The fence encloses a 40-acre containment area. 40 acres. But Love Canal is still a problem in the northern end that they resettled. People there are now complaining about being sick. They're finding contaminants there. The 40 acres contain some of the deadliest toxins ever created by the chemical industry. Dioxin, lindanine or lindane, benzene hexachloride, chlorobenzene, and dozens more compounds. It's basically a chemical stew that is like 25 feet deep in some spots 
and is buried beneath a plastic liner and 18 inches of oil. Mm. Oh, no, of soil, not oil. Mm. To this day, 5 million gallons of lichate a year drips into the trench around the waste pit. But it's being tracked by 150 monitoring wells, according to the State Department of Environmental Conservation. It is pre-treated on site and then pumped into the city sewers because that seems super safe. Let it spread to other areas of New York. Yeah. But here's what one current resident of Love Canal had to say. Everybody knows about Love Canal. Let it die. We choose to live here. If there's a problem, we'll take care of it. Just leave it alone. Stop bringing it up year after year. Look, sir, when your babies come out with eight legs and half of a head, there's no fixing that. Yeah, no. No. But that's your choice. It's your life, do you, boo? Right, yeah. I mean... It's, it's crazy. It, it, it was like it, it's crazy for a known resident to to act that way too. No, it's crazy to move there after such a big disaster. All yeah. those kids were sick. People like adults were sick. Kids were being born with all kinds of deformities and chromosomal abnormalities, and yet you choose to move there just because it's cheap, yeah. even though your house is right there off of forty acres of wasteland. And then, like, they did interview Ms. Gibbs some years later, and she had moved to Virginia. And she said within about two years, uh, one of her kids' epilepsy had stopped. Her son, Michael, he wasn't sickly anymore. Like, it is a direct link between breathing in that air. The water is probably contaminated from underground. The puddles that were in the streets and on the playgrounds. As soon as they moved away after a couple years, no more problems. Who would have thought? But that's my story. That's Love Canal. Wow, that's crazy. It all started with the dream on that one. It did. Man, got a, a century's worth of problems after after he passed on. That's crazy. Now, now my my story is a. Uh, my story, my story is a little, little tougher to work around. Mm. One, because it happened um, in Italy, and as a native English speaker, um, these Italian words are going to not sound like Italian words at all. Don't worry, I used to date an Italian dude, I got you. <laughs> okay, great. And, um, and in this case, it takes place in the 70s. So, you know, the 70s, you know, was a very experimental time. Yes. And the chemical company in the chemical company in subject is the IC Misa chemical company, and IC Misa is an acronym for Industri Chemiche Meda Sociata Azonaria. Azonaria. Chemical industry. Wait, say the next part. Mida. 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 M E D A. Middle, maybe. Sociale. Social. Azinaria. Azinaria. A Z I O. 
N A R I A. Area. <laughs> <laughs> Industrial Chemical Middle Society Area. Oh, I was so close. No, no, no. I was just saying, repeating oh. what you said. Oh. Don't get, don't get excited. <laughs> I, after repeating I got what you real said. excited. No, I don't have a translation. I, you know, I should have, I should have seen if I can translate that, but I didn't even think about it. Um, but anyway, um, so this company, this company was actually, um, it was just a normal chemical chemical company. They were making two four five dash trichlorophenol, which is a type of substance used in herbicides and and for the preparation of hexachlorophene, which is used in cosmetics. So you know, kind of standard stuff like you know some some uh, some ease of life chemicals, if you will. And what really went wrong in this case was that the directors of the company were just terrible directors. They just were not responsible. They weren't, they weren't using, you know, safety measures. They weren't regulating things how they're supposed to be. And, and essentially it led to an explosion, which, which affected hundreds of thousands of innocent people and animals alike. Oh, you know what? I just realized. I think the last word is association, not area. Okay, go ahead. So, so my Google, my Google Translate says Chemical Industries Mita <laughs> Equity Company. So, Mita Equity Company. I don't know. Obviously, don't know Mita, Mita isn't a real word. Uh, Can't trick us. Yeah, Google. <laughs> Mita someone's name or something. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, okay. So, so... 245-trichlorophenol, which we're going to call TCP at this point. And then also, there was use Did of... Did you know that's in cereals? TCP? Yep. With cereals. Good cereals? Uh, cereals marketed to children. I don't want to say any names because I don't want us to get thrown off the podcast well, air before we even get really started. Well, it says right here, like... In the bleaching process of pulp and paper mills, that it can be released. So maybe in the bleaching process of some cereal like colorations, it get released, and they have that good ingredients. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but along with that, um, another thing that can come from it is two three C uh, two three seven eight dash tetra chloro dioxin, which was which was related in your waste case yeah because mine they also bury the 245 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah they both of those line up together and both of those are extremely toxic to humans so around midday saturday july 10th 1976 an explosion occurred in a tcp reactor of the icy mesa chemical plant on the outskirts of mita oh okay so mita's a town a small town about 20 kilometers north of milan italy a toxic cloud containing tcdd which is the dibenzodoxin then widely spread to a widely spread atmosphere and the cloud went about six kilometers long and one kilometer wide Yeesh. lying downwind from the area to towns 
in municipalities below. Municipalities? Municipalities below. And fast break. Yes. What you just said reminds me of a cartoon that used to come on called the Oblongs. Oblongs. Yes. And their theme song says down in a valley where a chemical spill came from the people at the top of the hill. <laughs> You've got to Google it and look I think, it up. I think, I think I remember these characters like really freaky. Yeah, like they were mm -hmm. on the form. But when you yeah. said like the cloud was that went down here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, so, so the more, so the four most impacted included Cibeso, Mira, Dacillo, and Casano Madreno. And then two other municipalities, municipalities were subjected to post-accidental restrictions. And this was Barlacina and Bovicio Macago. And health monitoring was extended to further to five further municipalities, municipalities. Yeah, because clouds can travel. Like, you know, they can't contain clouds. No, uh-uh. You no, you cannot. No, when, like, when, when anything toxic becomes a gas, it is pretty volatile that it is kept in a building, but if there's an explosion, then it's airborne, and there's nothing but gas in the air, so it's just gonna be with friends and thrive in that environment. So, so pretty much like I was saying what was going on was that there was just irresponsibility at the factory. So at the time of the Cebeso disaster, that's what we'll be calling this disaster, the Cebeso Dachshund disaster, um, the complexity of communication problems under conditions of severe uncertainty was recognized, if not fully managed. Before the gas release, no one outside the plant, neither residents, politicians, or health authorities had any idea that there was a hazard of such magnitude. Mm. The explosion and release were greeted by incredulity, followed by alarm and dismay. The firm's initial behavior led to subsequent suspicion about their motives. Various instructions for precautionary measures were issued almost immediately, but the firm denied knowledge of the to toxic substances involved. Ten days passed before the firm before the firm confirmed that the dioxin had been released. Only then did the governmental authorities and the public learn that there were that there was a grave risk. Animals, birds died. Of course. Um, household pets like cats and dogs bled from their nose and oh mouths. Chickens were affected, of course, birds, but people who ate the chickens became terminally sick. And the first and the first people to, the first people to realize this were farmers, you know. Of course. Um, and then after that, they started realizing like you know like any like basically anything with it. So it's, it's basically a biohazardous at this point. So any kind of like you know if if one of your pets used the bathroom outside, that stuff's out there. And so if a chicken goes into that, they're spreading it to other things in that whole ecosystem, everything's getting affected. And children, children were, children were getting terminally sick and dying, adults were getting terminally sick and dying also. It was just- Horrible. It, yeah, it was just a terminal thing altogether. And like, and like the gas was burning eyes and like, you know, skin is very sensitive to it. So it was going, ah, oh, it's terrible. 
But uh, back to this. Um, only then did uh, they know they're in great risk. Even so, it was impossible to assess the danger with any precision. There was an onset of genuine, of genuine dread about sickness in general and about malformed babies in particular. The, in, the, well, the widespread illness and death of animals and, and many other species was an ominous sign. The authorities had their own severe problems of decision-making under uncertainty, including the definition of, of different polluted zones Programmies, programs, <laughs> pro program. It's, it's it's weird. It's programs with an e on it. It's a no. It's like it's like a European spelling. Programs of evacuation of endangered residents and disposal of contaminated materials. From the beginning of the disaster, situational situational uncertainty was it was salient. Decisions had had to be taken. Sometimes under sometimes under conditions of great urgency and the nearly complete absence of information that might guide actions. Scientific uncertainty was salient, as shown by the fact that local investigating magistrates closed off the site within eight days of the accident. Societal uncertainty was severe because there had been no previous institutional preparation or consultation for the accident. Right, because how can you contain that once it's in the air? It's in the air. Yes, that's it. That's like, it. if it starts to rain, then it's really going to spread. Then it's going to be like acid rain coming down. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then after that, legal and moral uncertainty was also severe. The technical director of IC Mesa found himself under arrest when he attended a works meeting 12 days after the incident. He was probably one of the people, like, you know, responsible for the thing to begin with. And the director of production was placed under arrest at that time. And was assassinated four years later. Whoa. Yeah, he Italy wasn't effing around. They no. He I mean they, they ruined they ruined people. They ruined people's lives and yeah, it's terrible. It, it was it was really awful. Like like um dibenzodioxin was was used in other stuff too before this. Like it was used as like a chemical a weapon in places before, but this incident was four times greater than like the last time it was ever used. Wow. And that last time it was ever used was in the Vietnam War. So That's crazy. yeah, so this incident was four times greater than the amount used in Vietnam War. Wow. Yeah, so that was literally used as a weapon there, but this was just an accident. This is it's quite awful. So the the estimated toll of those affected is two hundred thousand people. And this was in the seventies, you know, like the population. The, I mean, the population was still pretty great in all these places, but not to the scope of what it is now. But right. two hundred thousand people in the nineteen seventies, and like you know, a couple couple of Italian villages. That's a lot of people. Right, and that's probably like just what they know of. Just think yeah. of the people who were eating food or animals. That didn't know, that thought they just randomly got sick, yeah, yeah. or got food poisoning, mm -hmm. like from just the normal means of, you know, this wasn't cooked well enough. Right. Yeah. The fact that the icy mess factory was already sequestered would have made it highly, highly imprudent for its owners to withhold information about the contaminants, and in and it was noted at the time that the dioxin threat had already been publicized by the media before it was officially confirmed. Later, and off the Cerveza site, propriety, propriety uncertainty was now as low, 
particularly in connection with the disposal of barrels containing toxic materials. From 1982 onwards, stories of concealment and blunders began to circulate, and these have not yet ended. So, so to this day, like no one still knows what in the world, what in the world happened, what in the world was going on, like what their plans were to like increase production so much that it exploded in their factory. Greed. That's what it was. Their plans were make as much money as possible with as little actual money going into making sure things are safe and done correctly. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. I really really wish mine had a I really wish mine had a couple more names, but but it's all pretty much about just like the chemical factory and then and then the list of like, you know, the places affected and everything. Because they even that line just says like, you know, the director was asked about it and nothing. Just withholding information. Yeah, I mean, because who's going to admit, like, yes, we overlooked safety regulations. Yes, we knew mm -hmm. this was dangerous, but we we were trying to cut corners and save money. Right, yeah, yeah, because if, cause if that's your, like, you know, that's your livelihood, that's your, well, I guess, like, you know, that's your um, your, your background as a working in chemical factories, you're not going to, if it's something like that, jeopardize your future. Because right. if you're in jail for it, well, I mean, I mean, like, if you're if everyone agrees it's an accident, like, everyone who's, who was interrogated says it was an accident, yeah, like, you know, yeah. how, how much can you arrest them for that, you know? Right. I mean, you could probably say, okay, well, maybe you guys are being negligent, do better next time. But, mm -hmm. like, you can't really prove that it was, like, you know. Yeah, like intentional. Yeah, because yeah. it probably, I mean, I'm 92% sure that it wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. Because they also reap the effects of it. It's not like they could explode the plant and then be okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, their children, their families, their farms, if they had one, were all in jeopardy when it happened. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, was, that one was a... That was crazy. Like, that's scary. Like, what if, oh, yeah. like, a plant just exploded? Like, the air will just swoop that on where it wants to go. Yeah, exactly. And, and really, all you can do is just get indoors and... That's it. If you have a bunker, definitely get in that bunker, but anything in the air, and we have filters, but filters can't stop, like, you know, harmful toxins. Right, and now it's like, now that the, you know, chemical threat of war isn't as great as it was back in, like, the 30s, 40s, 50s, they don't even make houses with bunkers here anymore. Yeah, yeah. They've, like, paved over all of them, but I really want one, like, just to say I have a bunker. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. It would be a pretty cool chill-out spot. I don't know about all that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, nice lighting and stuff and electricity. You know, got a TV down there. These, these, were, these were built back in the day, so it's probably <laughs> not going to be as fancy as you're, you're imagining. Oh, yeah, because I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm thinking, like, like you know, video game status. Like, you know, you get, no, get a bunker and you got no. full amenities and everything. This is probably the one light bulb on a string, <laughs> if that. Oh yeah, the ones that just hang from the ceiling and swing around. Right, if mm -hmm. they could even get electricity underground during those years. Like, it might be candles and <laughs> flashlights. Yeah, I'm serious though. If you were to get a bunker, there should be like an MTB crib style, like, you know, tour of it. That would be pretty cool. It would be as big as this room we're in right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Well, that 
episode three feels like it just went by super quick. Yeah, that was a lot of um, that was a lot of there was a lot of storytelling in episode three, but um, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of things that people don't realize like how much chemicals affect our everyday lives. You know, we use products for chemicals in them all the time. Right. These factories, they're just dumping these things in right. our backyard, in our rivers, in our waterfalls, letting too much, letting too much bureau up and explode and just hide it. And who, who can do anything about it? The government is gonna be on the side of whoever makes money. Mm -hmm. Which is going to be the companies, not the people. Right. So, that was a sad turn of events. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, we just really brought that one down. <laughs> so, to bring it back up, everybody, everybody, go on YouTube and search for the Oblongs and watch that cartoon. It was like two seasons and... I even emailed the creator and was like, is there ever going to be another season coming out? And he was like, I don't know. I hope so. This was like some years ago, maybe like 10 years ago. And he was like, I don't know. I hope so. But unfortunately, I think two seasons is all we got. But it's super funny. I, I, I vaguely remember it. I remember it being like kind of disturbing. Mom, because like, you know, I was a kid and like, you know. Like the dad had no arms and no legs. Yeah. The son, Milo, he had like some kind of extreme form of like ADD. Their two older sons were conjoined twins. Yeah. Their the, daughter had like a penis growing out of her head. Yeah, and mom had huge boobs. No, no, she didn't have any hair. She was like bald, but mm -hmm. she always wore like a, a really funny wig and she was an alcoholic. Yeah. So, but it was like, I think everybody in the valley were the poor people and everybody on the hill were the rich people. So like all the chemicals from the hill people we're yeah. like contaminating all the valley people. <laughs> Look up albums on YouTube. <laughs> yes, it's there. <laughs> it's there. And um, thank you so much for listening to us today for our, our third episode on chemicals and their chemical disasters, <laughs> their far reaching effects, and how we're not safe at all, basically. Yeah, exactly. So. I'm V. And I'm Key. And thanks for listening to what we had to say today. And maybe come back next week even though we should have